Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Losing the Plot. I'm Leo Robertson. I find artists of all varieties I find interesting. They're usually writers, they don't have to be. And uh, we talk about their work, we talk about life, we talk about anything and everything. We lose the plot together, hence the title of the show. As always, we start with the latest of what's going on over at Aphotic Realm. Uh, issue number seven is out now, it's gruesome. Who doesn't love over-the-top 80s horror films? A punk band fights off a horde of possessed fans at a local concert. A makeout session at the cemetery takes a turn for the worst. Slashers, critters, demons, gore, hairspray. The 80s horror B-movie aesthetic is what issue 7 gruesome is all about, so do check that out. The Realm also has its own merch store right on the Aphotic Realm site itself. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, beanies, caps and tank tops. And if you check out the new Aphotic Realm Instagram, you can see yours truly sporting an Aphotic Realm t-shirt uh, in the dark grey heather colour. I think it's great. And uh, there's loads of cool other merch. I'm sure I will get other stuff too. And uh, I hope you will as well. Please do check out the merch in the store. Finally, I hope you will consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to podcast episodes such as this one. Um, you can also uh, get digital downloads of all Aphotic books as well. So do check that out. Please consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon also. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo. Our guests this episode are Brendan Vidito author of Nightmares and Ecstasy, a collection of short stories out with Clash Books now, and Sam Richards, author of To Wallow and Ash and Other Sorrows, out October 11th with Nihilism Revised. Together, uh, they worked on The New Flesh, a literary tribute to David Cronenberg, uh, an anthology which is out probably in November with Weird Punk Books. We had a great chat and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. KillerCon was a recent con, right? Yes, just a couple of weeks ago, I think. How did it go? It, it was excellent. Uh, it's always a really fun con. Uh, I've only, mind you, I've only been to BizarroCon and KillerCon, but they're they're very much different experiences because I find KillerCon's a little more relaxed, so mm -hmm. it allows more time to kind of breathe and to interact with different individuals, whereas BizarroCon, you know, it's a very tight schedule. They're both totally different experiences, and but a lot of the same people attend. But yeah, this year was was great. Uh, it was fun, you know, uh, uh, just being there, like as an editor as well as a writer, uh, getting a chance to interact with some of the the authors that were included uh, in the upcoming Cronenberg anthology. Oh, seriously, who did you meet? Uh, well, we got to speak, uh, Ryan Harding. I met him the pre, this was my second year, uh, killer con and, but I, I didn't really speak to him the first year. So I got the chance to, I had lunch with him one day and he's, 
really nice guy mm-hmm. a lot of fun to talk to he's uh has this kind of near encyclopedic knowledge of of trashy horror films um who else was there uh oh charles of course was uh charles austin weir um yeah i'm just sam am i blanking on someone here uh, who else was uh oh cody <laughs> good cody goodfellow uh yeah he's he's uh, he's amazing i think yeah i think that was pretty much it if we were there um yeah it was just a lot of fun then when sam i can ask you i guess like when when did both of you two meet 2016 sam uh that sounds right yeah it was it was sam's first bizarro con yep uh and i believe it was the night of the press party on saturday maybe and everyone was pretty drunk and uh, we just started talking and talking about like jg ballard and cronenberg and uh we started kind of getting into themed anthologies and talking about how like the uh, uh cameron pierce had done a david lynch themed anthology a few years prior and we're just like you know what why did anyone do a david cronenberg anthology there's a lot of potential there and uh we'd known each other for only for a few hours and we basically vowed if ever <laughs> like if anyone's gonna do it it'll be us and flash forward you know five years later and it's finally happened <laughs> yeah that, yeah basically yeah i can't i i always have a issue rem- recalling like which night of the con it was and i think we had like very briefly talked previous like a previous night uh probably with charles and like andy wayne adams and like a, you know sam reeve and a couple other people and but then like we got in this little like area and we just started like geeking out over that shit. Yeah. And it really was like the impetus of it was that, or, uh, that, uh, Cameron Pierce anthology, the David Lynch one, it was like up to that point, I had only, I had done the music based anthologies that I had co-edited with Emma Johnson. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like film of the film based ones I could think of, you know, there are very few not that there are like excessive amounts of music ones either, but, like a filmmaker who seems so apt for someone to make a fucking lit based anthology for them. Like Cronenberg is the most obvious choice. Hmm. And you're now the, you're now the full owner of weird punk books, right? Yes. Yes. And it's looking to, you're now going to start publishing novellas as well after this anthology, probably. Yeah. Um, I actually just got the okay to, to uh, like announce this. I get another announcement. I'm losing the plot. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Brendan and I's friend, um, Ian Mueller, Muller, uh, writes his joke when L, uh, they were in the zombie punks fuck off anthology. And recently they approached me with an anthology or sorry, with a, um, a novella that, they just wanted me to like have a look at and for edits and kind of beta read to see if there's anything they could do to, I don't know, shore it up, make it better. They had apparently written it a couple of years ago and then just like threw it in a folder and thought it was shit and then came back to it and was like, I actually think this might be all right. And so I read it and immediately was like, let me fucking publish this. Uh, so the name of it is the mud ballad and it's, uh, 
similar in tone to something like Joe Lansdale's Freezer Burn, maybe mixed with Emma Johnson's Cattle Cult Kill Kill. Uh, it's really cool. It's like set in a sort of unknown time frame sometime within the 20th century, like maybe the 20s, maybe as high as the 60s. It never really delves deep uh, into that like aspect. It's just sort of timeless. Mm-hmm. And it's like really cool. And I just had to, I couldn't say no. I mean, not that they were even asking. <laughs> I just, I, I read it and knew like, I want to publish this. They're a really good friend of mine. So I was like, let's do it. And thankfully they said yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I always love I always love getting the exclusive announcements. So <laughs> yeah, please keep them coming. Um Brendan, at this uh at this con you were nominated for some Splatterpunk Awards. Yes, that was uh uh that was quite the experience. I was very not expecting that at all. Um yeah, it was a huge honor and yeah, it was funny because I was sitting next to Sam uh during the awards. And I think there was this moment where, you know, when they're announcing the, the, the nominees for collection and I just looked over and I think we had this like shared moment where like, yeah, I don't stand a fucking chance. Cause like you have like David J. Uh, Scow or Shao, uh, Bentley Little, uh, Mom uh, Buka Dien, who wrote this excellent collection of uh, kind of this weird uh, African horror, literary horror type stuff um yeah and it's and jeff burke so i was just i was kind of like that that young canadian writer who just somehow inexplicably inexplicably found his way into that nomination category but yeah obviously david ended up winning for he was a best of collection and yeah obviously hugely deserved because he was a major influence on me so yeah one of the he basically coined the name spider but yeah it was a huge honor and it was a lot of fun and uh hugely encouraging going forward, you know, cause I'm just basically starting out my writing career. It's kind of like, it'd be weird for me to win. I think, cause like, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to hit that plateau that early. Cause I still like, I've, I acknowledge that even looking back on my work now, like, and I think this is a typical thing for writers is like, you're, you're overly critical of things you've written in the past. And I still have like a, a bunch of room to grow. And so that's something, you know, that's a, a motivator now going forward. And, uh, you know, help me become a better writer. Sam, this is your debut short story collection, right? That's going to yeah. come out soon. Mm-hmm. So do you, when's it coming out? Do you know? Uh, October 11th. It, it, it took you a long time to piece it together, right? Yeah, it did. I kept, um, it's nine stories and I kept just like, just one more, just one more. And I even took a couple or there, there were a couple that I was considering putting in it that I ended up not. I was like, I'd rather have it be more of these super sad, like grief horror stories than just like half. Cause it's seven of the nine of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't include some stuff that I it like would have presumably been done sooner. Had I just like, Oh fuck it. I have these stories, but I like, there's something inside of me that was just like, just write another and then I'd like talk to SC Burke over at Nihilism Revised, and I'd be like, I think I'm done. I just have to look at it. And then I want to write one more. I kept, yeah, it was bad. And then I wrote another, uh, a, like a longer short story for a different project mm-hmm. that uh, I was like potentially going to put in the short story collection as well. And 
that one, I was like, this tone is just wrong. So I had sort of waited on finishing that and then didn't even end up including it, which is fine. But yeah, I, I stretched it out probably longer than it should have gone. Mm-hmm. Just one more story. Just one more. <laughs> how about for you, Brendan? How, how many years are, is your book, was your book in the making? Um, I think the earliest story in that collection was from late 2013 mm-hmm. and it released in 2018. So it's just, you know, it, there are no way consistent throughout that. Cause like while I was beginning those stories, I was in university. So I would only write when I had the time to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it was in the, the last one in the collection, uh, a feast of you was written, I think only a few months before the thing actually, you know, went to the printer mm-hmm. cause I wanted, you know, that, that a very, that's a, in my mind, kind of a transitional story. And I wanted something longer to sort of fill it out. Yeah. I think that one seems to be a fan favorite as well from reading the reviews. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's yeah. That's very humbling. Cause, uh, it's different, you know, cause when you're picking up that collection and it's being built as sort of like a Clive Barker esque like body horror thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the stories that come before a feast of you are like very, very, very grotesque. Uh, that one's a little more, uh, rooted in, in psychological horror aside from, you know, there's, there's obviously that moment of cannibalism <laughs> later in the story, but yeah, for the most part, it's like, it's more of a, it, I, my whole intention with that was I wanted to write a cosmic horror story disguised as a domestic drama. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I went, ended up with. There was only a few that I'd written that didn't end up in there. Um, uh, just because like they didn't match quality wise, but, Mm-hmm. For me personally, and I know this isn't like necessarily common with others, but like short stories are come a little easier to me. I'm working on a my first novel now, and uh, it's a I find that like cons- a considerably more challenging than uh, short stories. Mm-hmm. Sam, how about you? Have you attempted the novel format before? Uh, yeah, I so in the very early thousands when I really started like. I think I want to be a writer. I stumbled through writing four just utterly terrible novels mm. uh, that'll never see the light of day. They're just garbage. And then kind of honed my skills, like writing a lot of nonfiction and writing weird experimental pieces. And then just over the past, I don't know, four years or three years or something, uh, started like, oh, I want to write something longer again, like, but like good this time. <laughs> and I fairly recently finally finished writing the novella that I had been working on when Mo died. Uh, I had started it in a workshop in one of Garrett Cook's novella writing workshops. And after she died, I just like couldn't, it was just the wrong thing to write basically. Mm -hmm. And I did, uh, I like had a very specific vision for that story and it's kind of about my childhood which I don't know, I guess that's cliche, but there it is. Uh, but so I just spent like all that time after she died, writing these short stories about her death and about my reaction to it. And I finally felt like not certainly not that I'm over it or that I'll ever be over it, but I'm just in a better place to be able to kind of write something that isn't just about tremendous amounts of grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I I recently, and it was like really close to done. It was like 90% done. 
Uh, so I recently went through and finally finished it and did several rounds of edits and had some beta readers, including Brendan. Uh, and I submitted it to, I don't want to jinx myself, so I won't say the name of the, the <laughs> press, but I recently submitted it. And if it doesn't find a home there, I you know hope to find it, have it find a home somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But it's like, uh, it's my homage to 80s small creature horror plus satanic panic vibes. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Personally, I've never really understood genre or been that concerned with it, even when it's as basic as like horror, sci-fi, fantasy. I just, I, I don't find it personally compelling to think about my stories in those kind of terms. But I, I get the impression from both of you that genre is really important. And in particular with this book, of course, it's body horror. Um, And Brendan, in your collection, a lot of it is body horror as well. Can you talk about what that means to you, what it does, why it's important? Um, for me, I have a kind of a weird relationship with horror. Uh, I was kind of a late bloomer in terms of when I became in, uh, interested in it. Uh, you know, growing up, I was really into fantasy and stuff. And then when I was 15 years old, uh, I was diagnosed with systemic lupus. And um, basically, like, because of that, I, I, I'm in the 1% that had it in his brain. So the, the symptoms originally had manifested as they're psychological in nature. So I was hallucinating and having delusions and whatnot. But there's also like a whole slew of like bodily issues because uh, I was on these meds for too long and ended up needing a double hip replacement and a bunch of stuff. So in a way, like horror became a way for me to sort of cope uh, with that, that very real fear of living with that illness. So when I was like in my later teens, I would, I was deliberately like seeking out everything I could find that was like horror related books or movies or whatever. And I was just like, you know, ravenously, ravenously consuming everything and body horror, I guess, just really resonated with me because, you know, for me, what's, there's nothing more frightening than like something that's occurring within your body. There's no way to escape it. It's just like, your body is the haunted house. There's no, you can't just like, you know, run out the door and, and kind of escape it. So I wanted to uh, challenge myself and see if I can kind of write stories like that on my own. Are you writing about your own body? In a way, yeah. Like some of the stories come from a very, I I don't want to say they're they're autobiography, um, but there's always something, there's always a seed in there that I'm trying to explore that, I try to kind of tap into subjects that I can sort of understand on some level, mm-hmm. no matter how you know weird or fucked up it ends up being. Sam, how about you? What does body horror mean to you? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I, I would like going a little bit back to, to the earlier portion of your question, just about genre. Uh, I I actually think like. Brendan and I probably have fairly similar philosophies as this. I don't want to speak for you, but just having read so much of your work, uh, where it's like the genre is there to facilitate the underlying themes and emotions that you're like trying to deal with, specifically with in regards to like your illness when you were younger. So much of that is like present in your work. Same with like the fucked up relationship dynamics. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a little too much about previous relationships you've had. Uh, <laughs> I see it in you know, especially in the um, rebound. It's like very apparent that that's about kind of an abusive, manipulative relationship. Uh, 
and and I think for me that's like much the same as like I love like I love horror and have since I was way too young to watch it because my dad had no filter so we could literally watch anything and I go back to my mom's house and it was like the button down super conservative Christian bill but at my dad's it was like anything fucking goes and I just kind of fell in love with the, the visceralness I fell in love with the uneasy feelings that you you know especially when you're that age that it can that it can like give to you where they like really sink in deep and you'll be at school and suddenly you're like a little bit afraid because you remembered this thing you saw you know four days ago uh and not that i necessarily like i'm out to scare it's more the other like eeriness unsettling feelings are just it's one of my favorite things and at the same time again it's about the like, I also love transgressive fiction. It's, like, my favorite genre, specifically George Bataille, Kathy Acker, um, uh, William Burroughs, J.G. Ballard, that kind of stuff where the kind of the point of it, yes, it's got all this fucked up stuff in it or it's got all these taboo-shattering moments, but the, the point is sort of what illumination comes through that. It's, it's like you're... Uh, learning entirely new things through wallowing in the filth as opposed to merely wallowing in the filth. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, especially the, the last story into wallow and ash is like heavily influenced by a George Bataille novella called blue of noon. And like every moment of writing that story was viscerally uncomfortable. It made it so I couldn't sleep. And I just kept like pushing into that feeling because there's something on the other side of that, which is hopefully like truly that story is about like getting over the like lust that I still have for my late wife, right? Like the sexual component of our relationship. Like how can I not desire a dead person for the rest of my life? And that's what that story is. So it's like genre, but I also my stuff I'm always trying to like pull in like my true emotion, my uh, anxieties uh, regarding this, my own grief and kind of, I, I hate to like the term elevated horror is bullshit, but it's like, it's not just pulp. Right. And nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I love pulpy stuff too, but I love the, like one of my favorite things in the world is the commingling of like the lowbrow and the highbrow or the quote unquote lowbrow and the quote unquote highbrow. So it's like the, the aim of literature with the facade of, you know, grotesque, scary books. Hmm. I think that no, like to bring up transgressive literature, like no, in this climate where you can get like so heavily penalized by saying the wrong thing, even if you're just accidentally like uneducated about something. And yet at the same time, there are these like ridiculously disgusting books being published that nobody seems to care about. You know, it's like if you just if you just declare that that's what it is, people are like, OK, go for it. <laughs> Say whatever. Um, it's bizarre. And it, it's it, it perhaps it's even more liberating now that this stuff is still getting published. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Cronenberg specifically then. Um, Brendan, favorite films? Uh, when did you discover him? What, what does it mean? Um, 
Okay, so I discovered him. It was around that time, like that kind of my self-taught horror education, like post-diagnosis. And um, I don't remember what the first film I watched. It might have been The Fly, I think. Because my, my dad showed me the thing like a few years prior to that. And I think like it just, the, the, the two are weirdly kind of connected in my mind. So I think that might have been the first one. But the first one, that the first Cronenberg film that really left an impact uh, was Videodrome. So I think it was one of those things that as you're watching, and I think a lot of writers have this experience when they're, they're watching or reading something, they're like, holy shit, you can actually do that. You know, you can actually go that far and you can get that weird. Uh, yes. And so I, I think that, that one, and, and also I really enjoyed dead ringers just for being the total kind of opposite end of that spectrum where it's a lot more grounded. Uh, and he's going, it's as opposed to sort of delving into anything related to the body. He's going more into deep, he's getting deeper into the character's psychologies. And that's very interesting. That's something he's very adept at. He's he can kind of like juggled these, all these different elements in his work. They're films for like a particular mood, though, right? I find. Yeah, yeah, because there he, he he has very definite stages in his career. Um, if you look at his early stuff, uh, basically all the way from his short films like Crimes of the Future, all the way through maybe to, I think Videodrome might actually be the sort of the cap on that, and then he has that kind of psychological phase with Dead Ringers, like M Butterfly and Crash. Uh, and then he has his more, he goes deeper into that psychology, but he explores that on a more surface level with like uh, Dangerous Method and then obviously his crime films. And now he's into sort of like his last one, I guess, was Map to the Stars, which was just, it was more just pure satire, but with his bleak sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I'd, I'd mentioned Maps to the Stars being my favorite of his, which I think is. Uh... I told a friend about it and she was like, that's not canon Cronenberg. Don't say that's your favorite. So, um, <laughs> but it's uh, like, I really like the, the guy who wrote it is called Bruce Wagner. I don't know if you know him. He's like a novelist. Um, yeah, what has he written? Uh, Dead Stars, I think is maybe his most famous novel. His first novel is called Force Majeure. But okay. Dead Stars, I think is the best one because it's all about like, he's, he's so, he's obviously so clever and like has this encyclopedic writing style that he's using to write about like the Kardashians and stuff. It's bizarre. It's it's bizarre that he's so like willfully and joyfully wasting his talent, obsessing over like you know what what action hero stars getting. It, it's so it's kind of it's really difficult to describe, and it, it's just about like people in LA. It, well, much like the film, I think people in LA really trying to get into the business and the business of storytelling while at the same time being incredibly soulless and vapid and not really have anything to say and finding that funny, which I think yeah. is pretty funny. Um, yeah. I, I think it must be a difficult thing to, to transform into satire or to make interesting, even though so many people are obsessed with it, I, like to make good art about it perhaps. Yeah. And with the thing that's really interesting about maps of the stars is like, it's a, it's a satire about American film being made by a Canadian director. So that was, like even uh, when he announced that film, I thought it was just that's sort of a weird kind of he's just from the fringes, right? Because he's had experience in Hollywood, and I think early on, like there was a whole like long story about how he got shivers off the ground, and I think for a while he was associated with Roger Corman and trying to get it done there, but they're gonna 
basically buy the screenplay off him and then switch it around and his vision yeah. would probably can you imagine what Roger Corman's produced shivers would have looked like? <laughs> It'd probably been awesome, but not in the same way that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> more tits. We need more. Yeah. Tits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting to see a Canadian just like peering in from the outside into this industry and kind of, you know, doing his take on it. And I don't know if the, the screenwriter, was he American or? I think he's American. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you feel a particular pride about Cronenberg being Canadian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you know, not to knock Canadian cinema, there's a, like a, a lot of great films that come out of here, but I feel like Canadian horror cinema is very, you know, it's thin. There isn't much there. There's actually a really great book about a survey basically from the silent era all the way through, I think the ginger snaps is where it kind of ends. Um, you get to see how weird and varied Canadian horror cinema in it is in like movies like the, have you heard of the brain? Uh, no. it's like the, the guy from reanimator, the dude who plays like the guy who gets his head cut off. Um, he's a scientist and he's basically gives sentience to this brain and it's like eating people and stuff, but there's really weird movies like that out of Canada and nothing. And obviously like there's the few that have slipped into the mainstream, but yeah. So Cronenberg's sort of always been at the pinnacle for me of, you know, Canadian genre cinema. Canadian, like in particular, I find the Canadian sense of humor is just so unique. Like I work, <laughs> I work with a Canadian guy and I was like, you're saying the weirdest stuff every day. Like it's, <laughs> I don't find it funny, but I appreciate it. And I kind of, <laughs> that's interesting that that's happening. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, like, like Canadian sense of humor is only comparable to the way that like Finn humor is against the rest <laughs> of that region or like the um, New Zealand humor compared to Australian humor. You're like, like Canadians are like America's New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> They should they should use that in promo. That sounds like something a Canadian would find funny as well. Canada, yeah. <laughs> America's New Zealand. <laughs> so Sam, what what are your thoughts on Cronenberg? What are your favorites? Uh, I'd say my favorite is probably The Brood. I, I think it's maybe like a more uneven movie than some of his later stuff, but at the same time, it has exactly what i want out of like that era cronenberg where it's the kind of isolated and secretive organization that are like fucking with someone they don't know they're really fucking with someone you know the way that they're manipulating the the guy's ex-wife uh there's just something about like the tone and atmosphere of that movie that i I just love I, i absolutely love it uh the earliest cronenberg i remember seeing is scanners and I was trying to like recall back. I remember seeing it at my dad's house. It was probably on like the illegally descrambled cable that we had. Uh, and I didn't know exactly what was going on. And then a bunch of crazy stuff happened where people's veins were like sticking out and they were staring at each other and shaking. And I just have like this distinct memory of that, of seeing that. And then years later, being the kind of VHS era. I recall seeing the sequels, which I think are maybe Charles Mann produced sequels, which I've never seen as an adult. But then like going back and being like, what are the like, 
picking them up at the video store and then being like, what's the original? What is this movie? And then like rewatching it and being like, oh, holy shit. Uh, yeah. And then just kind of through high school, see like watching the fly and watching Videodrome, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're all, he hasn't made a movie I haven't liked, but I also, there's a few I haven't seen. I've never seen maps to the stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe I'm an asshole for co-editing an anthology about the man. Uh, I've also never seen fast company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think I've never seen M butterfly either. I think I have it on a hard drive been meaning to watch it but i just never got to it i saw and i want to talk about uh kathy koja because she's done the forward for this book i saw that she'd posted about she was asking her facebook friends like what their favorite cronenbergs were maps to the stars didn't come up and scanners i didn't see any scanners fans either although i think of that as one of the best ones yeah Yeah, great it's that one's so good and that i thought that that's like a cult classic Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm I think it might get a little over overshadowed by specifically it's like the fly and videodrome are the films that I think like Cronenberg fans think of when they think of generally speaking, mm-hmm. it's like those kind of are the, the they typify his like almost two distinct styles. But uh, yeah, I think those are like the heavy hitters when it comes to his classic period work, mm-hmm. which honestly like, for editing the anthology was a little bit of a pain because there's a lot of stories that reference the fly or things similar to the fly, which is cool. But at the same time, it's like, that's not even obviously an original IP of his, which maybe should have been more clear on or more interested in the stuff he like fully created than like, here's this remake or here's this adaptation. Uh, And then also we got quite a few, Videodrome, like really heavy Videodrome references and submissions. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this is this would be obvious to anyone who's even like heard of the movie. <laughs> Having done this a few times, I'm always keen to not directly reference the thing that's in the s- submission call. It's a, it's an homage anthology to this thing. Don't mention it. Don't mention the first. If it's the first three films, the first three albums, all right. Don't mention those at all because uh-huh. you're going to get a slew of, of things like, oh, I, I was at home watching The Fly when my story started. So you're like, all right, great. <laughs> <laughs> I've got we 20 other guys giving me the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. We only let one story in where there's an actual reference to David Cronenberg himself. Uh, and that's Charles Austin Muir, who's a very good friend of ours and an amazing writer. Uh, his whole thing that one of his old he does a couple things really well but one of his things is like hilarious like meta horror and so he had these reference not even passing these full-on references to david cronenberg himself and just knowing like what he does and how well it worked in the story i was like this is the one that gets a pass literally (laughs) no one else can reference him by name but but i'll give it to charles he can have it (laughs) So I don't know who's best posed to answer this question, or or maybe you can both comment on it. But like, how did you go about assembling this anthology, uh, picking the stories, putting it together? Um, uh, it was a, I mean, it was pretty much a full-on collaborative uh, effort. We co-wrote 
the submission guidelines. Um, like we both had ideas that we thought were important to include, uh, which most of them had been based off our previous like initial conversation all those years ago about what you would want if you're going to do a Cronenberg anthology, where it isn't like, because I think our fear was that we were just going to get a bunch of body horror with none of the other Cronenbergian elements. And we absolutely did get a lot of that. <laughs> but there were the people who kind of like read all, literally all the other parts that we said, where it's like, you know, you want the, again, like the shadowy organization pulling the strings. You want the philosophical or psychological illumination in there where there's like the subtext of, I don't know, back and forth between different perspectives, like he, uh, different like philosophical perspectives, like he does like maybe a new age element, but without going full magic, there's like all sorts of things like themes in his work that transcend the just body horror. And so we've made sure to include that as that had been like in our initial conversation. Oh yeah. I would have to have these other elements. Uh, I'm sure there are more. I can't think of what they were, but uh, you, you have one. Yeah. I was going to say like, I think one of the major things too, that we talked about is like, we are trying to, pick stories that sort of fit the idea that like, what if Cronenberg were still making films today in today's social climate um, and with like the evolving times and technologies and how, what is ideas apply, uh, you know, to, to today's yet yeah, to, to like current times. So a lot yeah. of the stories do that and like beautifully. And, uh, but that was like one of the things we we're really looking after. Yeah. Like the synthesis of man and technology, especially in a modern context. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. like essential uh, i mean there are stories that don't have it but like that was a thing that we wanted at least some right because you don't want everybody to pick the same two elements you want people to pick the difference so the stories are different so yeah we did the sub call and then uh we just waited for the submissions to pour in and i, I think i kind of shot us in the foot because i was like let's not read them until we get all of them in and our submission our open submission period was three months it was actually a little over three months uh, just because I wanted to give people, I didn't, we didn't really do any, like this is coming. So start to write your story tend to do the, like now it's open. So write your story and get it in before the end. And three months feels like a good amount of time for that. Uh, but so then at the end of those three months, we looked in our inbox and had 200 submissions <laughs> that we clearly should have started reading earlier. Uh, yeah, and then the process we, we went with was we each just tried to read them all. And then we took notes on them. And I had like a Google Docs spreadsheet or a Google Docs document that was color coded where I would like use color to kind of rate the stories like automatic rejection because it doesn't fit the theme or I hate it or like not auto, like my dis very much dislike file, uh, you know, and then like up from there to like the these are the ones I absolutely adore. And we, once we got to 50, we'd each read the first 50 stories, then we'd discuss those so that we could send out a first round of rejections instead of making everybody wait the whole time. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was smarter to kind of break it up into batches. Mm -hmm. and then we did the next around 100. And yeah, we just compiled a short list of the ones that like either one of us liked, uh, and even if the other didn't, or that we both liked with no like ultimate decision made other than like, here's what we're keeping from this patch and we're rejecting the rest. Mm -hmm. And and we like, 
we would have Skype conversations where we would talk through like the stories. We'd like email each other at work. Like here's the here's the stories that I just read. That like watch out for this one. I know you. Yeah. This one starts with once upon a time. <laughs> And then for the editorial process, it was a lot of, yeah, like, I mean, for the picking the stories, we kind of compared notes. We came to a final master list that I think was at 18 stories. Yeah. And then we were forced, just because we were already going to be over, we had to remove two. And so the the book is 10,000 more words than I wanted it to be, because we reached a point where neither of us could, like, like, I can't reject any of these stories. I literally like all of these stories. Like, I, they're the best. And losing any one of them would be to, a, like, a detriment to the book. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah. and, and Brendan, if you want to, like, talk a little bit about the editorial process. So I'm not just going on and Oh, on. yeah. No, no. No, it's, yeah, it's exactly as you described. And it was, like, the funny part was just the challenge because it was so much reading. And I'm, like... What was it like? Eight hundred thousand words. You, you did a calculation today. I really did the math on it today, and the amount of stories we got. If they're, you know, average story length is about four thousand words, which might be slightly high, but maybe like thirty-eight hundred is probably perfect. But if it's at four thousand and we read two hundred stories, then yeah, eight eight hundred thousand <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, it was it was daunting too, because like Sam obviously had edited a few other. Uh, anthologies before and this was my first time ever doing this so uh, I think at the beginning I asked him like oh so how can we expect like how much I think he was like oh 80 to 100 maybe we'll get more because it's Cronenberg and then we ended up with a whole whack of them but yeah it was a great experience and like uh, yeah we ended up with some really great stories and one of the fun parts was you know because of all the work involved it was trying to squeeze writing or sorry uh, reading and editing into our work days <laughs> so we text each other and be like hey look what i'm getting away with today i read five <laughs> stories <laughs> yeah there was a, there was definitely a lot of like on the clock <laughs> like ah, oh, my boss doesn't seem to care it's fine <laughs> Eight hundred thousand words that's like how many short story that's like 20 short story collections or something of not even like necessarily publishable material uh just to like to put that in perspective too the not necessarily readable part when we had our after we went through all 200 submissions when we had our short list Mm -hmm. it was like 36 (laughs) so of 200 there were only 36 that were like oh this might work and even even some of those were like, I don't know if this works. I just want us to both reread it because there's something about it I liked. Mm-hmm. And about half of those were, this is a cool story, but doesn't fit the themes of the anthology. Mm-hmm. I just liked how it read when I was in the middle of slogging through Witcher fan fiction, which we <laughs> <were> <laughs> of. Uh, yeah. And another story that was just a, shot for shot retelling of King Midas's touch. Like when you're in that, the slog of that, anything that's decent, I was like, put it in the short list, which was still only 36 or 38 stories. <laughs> there was this weird trend too. Like you would think like, you know, Cronenberg, you know, it'd be a pretty clear idea of like what you're going to write. 
Uh, but we ended up with a lot of stage magician fiction for some odd reason to the point where I think like we both went online and checked whether there was a Cronenberg magician or not. Uh, but now we, we get like a few pages in and be like, what the hell? Like, what does this have to do with anything? And then, yeah, but a lot of stuff like that. It kept, kept us on our toes, I guess. Yeah. There, there must've been like a stage magician horror anthology that just finished up its submission call. Right. Oh, maybe. I yeah. guess something like that. Yeah. That's and then we did some Trump fiction too. And that one, there were just oh, yeah. been a Trump anthology that wrapped previously. That's oh. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like, we were happening at the same time as the uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Pizza Anthology. So we <laughs> didn't get any pizza crossover. <laughs> Probably one of the few publishing, uh, one of the few things that wasn't affected by this pizza plague. <laughs> The great publishing pizza plague. Of <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's interesting to hear behind the scenes because they do always talk about like, oh, you know, we received sometimes it's like over a thousand stories for certain anthologies or something. But I, I can't then imagine that, you know, the percentage of material that's appropriate gets any higher than it is for what, you know, what, what, what you had. So say it's like, it must be then like 20 stories out of 100 then roughly are any good yeah like it's it's one of those things where like yeah uh, some of the other ones were certainly good it's just like good and on theme yeah right it's mm-hmm. like that's like the real that's the the real battle is and i know i've done this too like i've submitted stories to anthologies uh where i've been like i think this is on theme like i read the submission guidelines i and then you get it back and it's like as almost as soon as I, you know, you hit send, it's like, fuck, I actually think I missed the mark on this totally. <laughs> like, cause you get in your head about like, what's this idea? How can I do my version of this idea? And sometimes mm-hmm. it goes way off course. But yeah. speaking of the, uh, like other anthologies that have gotten uh, like a crazy amount of submissions, I, I think it was Robert S. Wilson who, uh, is doing the, um, Knox Paradelia anthology he posted on facebook recently that he got it was either five or eight hundred submissions i can't quite remember but i i he was like talking about how stressed he was about it because he's actually doing two anthologies right now and i was like i like at 200 submissions i thought i was gonna like go into a seizure because it was getting so stressful like how are we gonna read all of these mm-hmm. and, and then to like see somebody get that many was kind of mind-blowing like good luck seriously good luck (laughs) that would take like a year to read i think yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah i have lucky if we got through you know five i think in a day yeah like whatever day jobs and i was also working on a draft of my novel at the same time so so it's a lot a lot to handle at once Mm -hmm. yeah i think on weekends i would like i can get through like 10 on a day but then by the end of that, you're just like so burned out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, did I really give those last four stories a really good chance? Or did I just want to get done reading? Yeah. I, you know, like you don't want to do that to an author. Like especially, right, as authors, mm-hmm. you know how much of yourself you put into what you submit. But like your hope is that the person on the other end of it reading it like cares about trying to read it and give it like a fair shake. 
Mm -hmm. So I never want to like, I'm going to slog through 25 submissions today. Cause it's like, you, I wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't remember 90% of them by the end of that. They'd all be one weird story. <laughs> so what, what else do I have to ask you guys about? Oh, let's talk about Kathy Korja. Um, yeah. Who came up with the idea to invite her to do the forwards? Uh, I think that was an early thing where we were just like, we had like almost like a dream list, right? Where we were like, Hey, we should reach out to this person and this person. And I think we originally intended, we were going to ask her for a story, but she didn't, she's, was busy finalizing, I think either the edits or she's finished, uh, trying to finish to write her latest book. Uh, forget the name of uh, something fat is it not nightmare factory or something along. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. She just, oh. she's, I think she was in the middle of edits on that yeah. novel. And she was, I, I think also finishing up the short story collection that Meerkat is putting out next yeah. year, like getting that like finalized. So she just, yeah, she didn't have time. Yeah. And then she agreed to uh, write the introduction, which was more than we could have ever asked for. Yeah. We went through a process of uh, like we did, we had a little list of like, who could we ask if we're going to have somebody who's not us do the introduction, who could we ask? And like obviously top tier was like Cronenberg himself who has no social media presence and seem like fairly hard to access. Although Brendan did find a video online <laughs> where he says his address. So like we could like just send him something, but I just assumed, I was like, he's probably never going to reply. I don't know. We're just a, we're a fly by night operation. <laughs> So then our, who was the, um, the guy who wrote that video, that, uh, book about video drone. I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah. Now I sound like an asshole. We were going <laughs> to, he's like an academic who did a study on the movie and wrote a, wrote and published a book about, it. I think maybe St. Martin's press. I don't remember. Somebody published it. Um, and so we we're like, well, he would be like a cool kind of intellectually authoritative voice on, you know, doing the introduction to this. We also talked about the Skoja sisters, Skoka sisters. Um, Cause they're doing that rabid remake. Um, but at the risk of pissing anyone off, I like didn't really like American Mary. So it was a little disincentive to ask them. Like, it's fine. It just didn't really grab me. Um, so the, the list kept being like, well, maybe we won't have anybody do it. I don't know. And then it was just like, fuck, let's just ask Kathy. Like she doesn't have time to get us a story, which I totally understand. That's a lot more work. Maybe she'll write a forward for us. And she, you know, and I, I offered her more for it than the one sent a word on it just to make it like, you know, make her give her some value for her time. Uh, and she was all on board and she was like, send it to me as soon as you've got edits. And I was thinking like, like, I don't really want to tell you how long this book is that you're probably going to want to read before you write the forward to. But, you know, we came to a rough, like, month-long deadline, and she was all on board for it. I don't know. Like, literally couldn't, other than if somehow miraculously David Cronenberg had been available and accessible, I couldn't have asked for a better person to write the forward. And even when she and I were talk talking about it, she was like, like you don't even understand like how big of an influence he was on my generation of writers at that time where like 
there wasn't, I think, as much uh, influence of film on the writing of horror until, I mean, obviously, like, Jack Ketchum was kind of the first to really do that, like, bring in that kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Night of the Living Dead stuff. Uh, but I think it took a little while for the weirder shit to trickle down into the writing. It seems like the, the kind of splatterpunks and her like era is when that like really hit hard. So it's really cool that to have her on board, you know, even in that capacity, I mean, I would have loved a story from her. Don't get me wrong, but it's having her attached to it and like stoked on it is one of the happiest things about the whole book. Definitely. And one of the funny things, like speaking of the, the potentiality of having Cronenberg write the introduction, uh, there was, I have this, book of screenplays it's all the early screenplays of Cronenberg I think it includes Crimes of the Future Stereo Rabbit and Shivers and there's an introduction in there by Cronenberg himself and the introduction is basically him asking the question like why does this book even exist and he just sounds very surly and he's like screenplays are meant to be are not meant to be read they're just like basically tools but it's just it's really funny kind of like downer way to start this this compilation and so it's like imagine like we did get an intro but it was just like really pissed off and like he doesn't understand what we're doing <laughs> why did these fucking assholes make this book with my name on it yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it would be great anyway you know go for it <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll embrace it yeah, oh yeah. I mean if if we had gotten him and he had sent us something like that, I totally would have put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Does the book have a specific release date yet? Uh roughly October. Uh we're so we we now have the bones of everything. We have all the edited stories. I recently got the introduction from Kathy and I've just recently got the back cover art, which a friend of mine, Sarah Huskin and Sanders did. And that took her a little while because she's had some stuff come up. Uh, but we still need to like lay the, we need to write the back cover copy and have that, like put that, have you know, that on there. And then we're, we also want to write in like outro, like after the book kind of about the experience of why we did the book since we're not doing an introduction. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I need to do all the formatting and whatnot. So I'm giving myself a you know, and hopefully like October, maybe November, it'd be great to have it out before, uh, for Halloween. But at the same time, I don't want to like rush anything. I want to make sure it's pretty, like as pristine as we can make it at this mm -hmm. point. Cool. And how how are you guys collaborating now? Is it still Skype or is it emails or there's not so much to do anymore? Uh, it's been pretty quiet for now, at least. We're just we're just waiting on that back cover and stuff. But I'm sure we usually like we talk pretty much every day uh, over Messenger and stuff. And when there's like quite a bit, like I think actually we're we're due for a Skype yeah uh, Skype call just for that writing that afterward. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I, I don't know, like if we should mention this now, but we're, this is not our only collaboration. Uh, we're planning, I don't know if this, we've called it a winter project. So I think, you know, it's, it's <laughs> a few months yet until we start actually really, uh, concentrating on it, but we're going to work on this novel together. Uh, and Sam, do you, I don't know if you want to talk about the, the plot. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, Brendan and I have a mutual love of like young adult horror books from the 90s, especially the ones that the title starts with a G and has some <laughs> bumps in it. Uh, <laughs> so we were talking about like making uh, like a an adult a novel that surrounds uh, an adult survivors of childhood trauma support group where as they're discussing their childhood trauma, these eight people realize that what they think happened isn't what happened. And they're actually survivors of like kind of goosebumps esque things that they've repressed in their minds uh, as a way of like, kind of finding the real world again. Uh, and, but we, it'll, it'll be like way, I mean, I don't say way, but it'll be like more fucked up and intense versions of those kind of stories where it's like, that's like the initial like memories are like, Oh yeah, there was like a gremlin in the camera and then some stuff happened, but it's like really insidious and bad. And through their memories of this, those things start materializing in their life again through the, the just kind of like uh, giving something mental space makes it real. Uh, yeah. So that's, I don't know. We're, we're talking about potentially having an artist or maybe eight artists each illustrate, like do a black and white illustrations of each of the creatures we're going to create and have those throughout the book. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know if you have more to add. That's kind of the rough. Yeah, note. yeah. Because basically, like the whole thing is like the all those young adult books. Those are like the repressed memories of these characters. So they're like because of like the the post traumatic stress they created. So these kind of cushy, like not quite scary uh, versions of of the of the events, which are actually like a lot more traumatic and disturbing and messed up. Uh, so that's where we're just going to try to, yeah, more adult, like, like basically it's obviously directed at people from our generation who grew up reading these books. And, you know, if you're curious to see like where these people end up and, but also sort of acknowledging that source material. Yeah. That and sounds that's great. Like, yeah. so, uh, the novella that I recently submitted for publication is called Sabbath of the Fox Devils. And like I said, I started developing it in one of Garrett Cook's workshops and he told me that it read like a fucked up splatterpunk version of a Goosebumps book. And so then we started talking about that and talking about our love of that. That kind of spawned this idea of like taking that style and taking the, those kind of story types, but like splattering them. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Best of luck with that. I mean, it will give you guys something to do in the long winter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We both have bad winters, so it'll be nice. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it is it is the best time to be. I don't indoors and writing. I find in the yeah, winter, definitely. Yeah, and uh, lots of people have told me that they have crazier dreams in winter as well. I certainly do. Does, do Interesting. You yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish I always wish I had more vivid dreams. All, all my friends seem to have more vivid dreams than I do, and I have these very mundane, like. You know, like last night, my uh, or this morning, sorry, my my partner was like, "You remember what you did last night?" And I'm like, "What?" 
And she's like, yeah, you, you're getting, I was going to bed around like 11 o'clock and you were already asleep and you're getting out of bed and like getting dressed for work. And she was like, what are you, what are you doing? And, and you're like, I want to head start. I want to get, I want to get, I want to get to work. I need to get dressed at some point. She's like, it's not even the middle of the night. Get back to bed. And, like, and I was apparently getting angry. But I, so I, I do this weird, yeah, like nighttime, almost like sleepwalking slash these, I've had like nighttime hallucinations, but like never vivid, like, you know, full kind of like narrative dreams. Mm. <laughs> oh. oh dear <laughs> so um so yeah no i th- I think those were all my questions if I, and i you know normally at the end of the episode i ask people to promote things so um brendan your book nightmares and ecstasy is available clash books right now um yeah. to all our nash and other sorrows out with nihilism revised uh october 11th october 11th great uh both excellent books thanks so much for your time yeah thank you so that was sam richard and brendan vidito the new flesh a literary tribute to david cronenberg should be out probably in november with weird punk books stay tuned if you're a reader, writer, editor, listener of any variety, you want to be on the show, you want to tell me something about it, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, that's all from me. So, bye-bye.